0: You are listening to the politicalbetting.com polling matters podcast. It's the economy, stupid, so says the famous phrase, but is it true anymore in politics in 2018? Ahead of next week's budget, we're going to be looking at the numbers on economic optimism among the public, who the public trusts to run the economy, but also asking the question, how important is the economy in how the political fortunes of Theresa May and the Conservatives, Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party and others, um, Will progress in the near future. And to discuss all of these numbers, I'm joined by co host Leo Barassi. Leo, welcome. Hello, Karen. So it's probably worth, before we look at the economy and the budget next week and the wider sort of political uh, implications of what comes next, it's probably worth pausing and just talking a bit about where we are as it stands. So let's start with voting intention. I was looking at a selection of the polls before we went on air. Um, to give the headline figures. And, and as you know, I'm, I'm someone that says, look, voting voting attention at this stage of a parliament only means so much. But with that in mind, let's look at it. So we've got Ipsos have had their latest poll out today with um, the Tories two ahead. We've had Kantar with the Tories six ahead, Servation with the Tories one ahead, Opinion um, Opinium uh, the Tories four ahead, and then a series of YouGov ones. I think the latest one was five ahead, possibly six, but it seems to sort of yo-yo around that figure. So what do you make of these? I mean, I I, I personally have sort of two conflicting interpretations, but I want to get yours first.
1: Yeah, right. So uh, I think it's, it's clear that the recent polls, so polls since the start of October, show that the Tories have opened up a lead over Labour. Um, and that, I think, is the first time they've had a lead that is so clearly sustained over Labour since the middle or perhaps uh, towards the end of the summer. So, Um, There is a lead now that the Tories have had for the last few weeks. And what that's come from isn't so much the Tories gaining, although I think you could just about argue that they've gained one or two points. But the bigger trend is that Labour have been drifting downwards and have been since around June, July. Um, You can look at that and say that at the same time as Labour drifting down, the Lib Dems have been drifting up. Now, this is a pretty crude way of looking at it, but I think it seems fairly plausible with um, some of the Brexit conversations that what we're seeing is a bit of a drift of Labour support away to the Lib Dems while the Tories have just about been holding ground and perhaps recovering some of what they lost around the publication of the Chequers plan.
0: I mean, the People's Vote March um, obviously did get a lot of news coverage um, over the weekend, didn't it? But then these things don't tend to shift the polls too much. I mean, the Lib Dems going up a couple of points is hardly seismic, is it? I mean, do you, if it, isn't it possible in, a, in an election campaign that, they, that would just go back down again?
1: Uh, maybe though the Lib Dems generally do gain in election campaigns because people are, re- are reminded of their existence. Now, obviously, that's been a bit different over the last couple of elections because we've had the coalition, which has put them in the spotlight more generally over time. Uh, but I think it's mm, it's more plausible that this could be a time when they gain during the election because they're seen as, uh, as an option. Um, I- I guess you know my starting point here is somewhat different from yours. Uh, I take your point that things can change, and last year was an extremely strong example of things changing. But I wouldn't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater in terms of over focusing on the fact that at the last election stuff changed hugely, because in every previous election, broadly speaking things didn't change all that much, except that as elections approached, polls tended to to go in favour of the government. The point being, for oppositions to win in a subsequent election, they tend, after about a year or a bit more from the previous election, to start opening up a very large lead. Now, so it's not to say things are set in stone, that that uh, historical precedent always dominates. And you've made the point before, which I think is entirely fair, that if you look at what's coming for the government with Brexit and, and arguably the economy, then uh, they do perhaps have a particularly bad hands to play coming up. But just on the historical record, it doesn't look very encouraging for an opposition to be... Trailing, or at least not leading significantly, at this point of an electoral cycle, if it wants to go on to win.
0: It's interesting. We've had uh, stories of Theresa May at the 1922 uh, committee, a uh, packed audience of M- Tory MPs, um, uh, an outbreak of unity. Uh, some have briefed uh, this evening. Um, one of the things that strikes me is is that I, I don't know. If, if there's a, there's an assumption. So let me unpick this, okay? So there's an assumption that the situation is pretty bad for the Tories, or at least they feel like there's a sort of moribund, um, low morale uh, sort of feeling among the Tories at the moment because of the, they can't decide on what to do for Brexit and there's a significant minority that are upset about the direction of travel. But, and, the, and the assumption is that if you get rid of May and then there's a new leader comes in, then they'll just wipe the floor with the Labour Party and stuff. And I've I just i I've always said, like, I don't know who that other leader is. And um, I guess we don't, we don't need to rehash, I guess we don't need to rehash old arguments too much, but... I just wonder, with the parliamentary math as it is, um, who is this magical leader that comes in and improves the Tories' fortunes? I mean, if we look at the numbers, these are pretty bad fortunes. So um, outside of voting intention, and I think that my big argument is that Okay, that needs to be treated as directional at best at the moment. 70% told Ipsos Mori in their latest political monitor that the government's doing a bad job running the country. It was 72% last month, and I wrote a piece in the Times Red Box about this. The last time this was in the 70s with Ipsos uh, was 2009 under Gordon Brown. So this is a very unpopular um, um, government. And I suppose it does then beg the question if the government's so unpopular, why is it at, at least neck and neck in the polls, if not better? I mean, it's hard to attribute that to one thing. But Jeremy Corbyn's unpopularity does seem to be relevant here. Um, 59% dissatisfied with the job he's doing with Ipsos. And if you look at YouGov, um, May leads Corbyn on who would make the best PM by 14 points. So I suppose if you want to, and this is a bit of a blunt instrument to analyse it, but I think there's some truth in it. You could say, look, it's a really unpopular government. Um, people don't think Brexit's going well which I think is probably related to how unpopular the government is but they don't like, people don't like the opposition either right? and when it comes to it maybe the incumbency rules I'm just not sure and we'll come on to some of this some of this economic op- optimism um, some of the, the problems the Tories have got to go through in the next uh, 12 months I feel like could lead to a shift in the polls against them maybe not necessarily directly to Labour maybe like the, the Labour vote share seems to be drifting to Dems a bit you might see the Tory vote drift to the UKIP a bit when this betrayal narrative sets in because it will be made that betrayal narrative will be made whether it's whether it lands or not is a completely different question and then the final point I would say very briefly is that the next election is either going to come about presumably in a situation where it's kind of forced on the government I mean it, it, even if Theresa May calls one and has to get through get it through parliament however she does probably not going to be from a position of strength is it like it was uh in 2017 so either there's a snap election of some kind and we've seen how volatile public opinion is in that one in that situation or it's going to be in 2022 and by then god i mean you know, are, are people going to want to give the tories five more years or are they going to run out of steam i get i get that these are all subjective questions you can argue one way or another but i just think the fundamentals aren't good for the tories
1: A lot of this comes down to the question of where we think the Brexit debate is going to be in a year's time. So fundamentally, um, I guess uh, an optimist for the Tories would say, look, um, the biggest, most difficult problem that we've got at the moment is negotiating a Brexit deal that, that people are happy with. As long as we can get something that, uh, apart from the outliers on on both sides, most people think that we've done a reasonable job of securing a compromise. Look, it's not perfect, but it's heading heading us in the right direction, and we can we can begin to shut up about it, and we can start uh, uh, just work on the details in a more boring way afterwards. I guess like the Michael Gove argument, so. If they can do that, then uh, they they kill the biggest problem that is, made, that is uh, in principle, hampering their vote because it's the thing that they seem to be doing badly at. If, on the other hand, you think that uh, this is not something that just goes away because we've ended the Article 50 period and uh essentially this is a rolling crisis that will bring more complicating factors and not only short-term hits but also the beginning of clear signs of long-term damage to growth as well as continued visible arguments about the right path for britain's long-term relationship with the eu and the rest of the world then this is a running sore and fundamentally we have this problem that you pointed to which is it's not at all clear who Who should be the Tory leader afterwards, because they have to be someone who represents one or one or the other camp? You're no longer able to have a leader who is um, a just sort of a, a moderate figure who's who's seen as uh, a reasonable person who's who's actually bringing lots of different policies and moving the debate on yeah. it, it It becomes more trench warfare, so I guess. In a way, I want to say, look, 2022 is so far away. Why, why do we bother? But I guess I've got two, or, or why should why should we even attempt to answer it? But I've got two problems with that argument. First, um, as I've said, polls at this point in the parliament are not useless, uh, even when it's that far away. Historically, they can begin to point to what's going to happen in the subsequent election to to some degree of accuracy. Uh, and secondly, we know that there's uh, there's going to be Uh, a huge change in the political circumstances because Brexit will have changed. The question is, which way do we think that's going to go? And I guess the main thing that we can attempt to do is uh, look at the different pathways and decide, do we think it's going to be something that becomes less problematic or stays at least as problematic for the government?
0: I mean, I think this is tied up where I, and, and you can sort of tell what side of the debate I'm on. I think what reinforces that message in my mind is the idea that if if you take the view that Theresa May will not be the Tory leader going into the next general election, which has always been the consensus, maybe um, the experience of... um, you know consensus is being wrong is probably uh you know something to reflect on here whereas as we say this but if you think that Theresa May will go at some point then surely one of the key elements of that uh, Tory leadership debate is going to be around um the Brexit deal and everything and it will will present the opportunity at the very least for someone to try and reopen it even if it uh, is seen as settled but um let's talk a little bit about we'll come back to Brexit a bit later let's talk about the budget because that's the purpose of this episode it just goes to show you how easy it is to get distracted by Brexit and uh, all the rest of it um the conventional wisdom and certainly David Cameron fought a general election campaign not that long ago on this right you know stability in the economy and all the rest of it um the, the conventional wisdom here is that uh, the economy is really really important in deciding elections and i wanted to examine some of that ahead of the budget um sixty one percent staying with Ipsos told Ipsos that they think the economy will get worse in the next year. Fourteen percent said it would get better. That's a net score of minus forty seven, which is the worst since twenty eleven. I think you were saying off air that, you know, it's been even you know it's been uh, you have to go a bit further back to see it even worse or something. Um, Yeah, that's
1: right. So that 2011 figure, the point of it is, it was briefly worse in 2011. But actually, you have to go back to the end of 2008. So right in the midst of the financial crisis to find a sustained period when economic optimism was lower than it is now. So I think that's a really interesting bit of context that essentially, the country has not been this pessimistic about the economy since uh, the days of uh, Northern Rock collapsing.
0: And yet, if you ask, if you look at UGov numbers, which says um, here is a list of problems facing the country, could you say for each of them which political party uh, would handle them the problem best? Um, the Tories lead Labour by eleven points, thirty-two to twenty-one. Obviously, a lot, of big chunk of people there not knowing or choosing someone else and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, the Tory lead on the economy does see, still seem to prevail, even though economic optimism is pretty weak. Interesting, huh?
1: Well, right, yeah. Um, it is low, though. Um, on In sort of historical terms, the both parties are doing badly on the economy. So, as you pointed out, those two scores don't really add up to that much. There's, you know, rough, broadly speaking, half the public don't think that either party is the best on the economy, Um it's certainly for the Tories, it's the lowest, It's currently the lowest it's been under May for Labour, it's the lowest at least since last year's election. So yeah, they're both seen to be doing badly, which I think, again, is a major factor for explaining why uh, the Tories still have this lead. But I think, I mean, the other thing to say to her, which I'm um, sure we'll, we'll want to talk more about is, it's true that they're both doing badly and the Tories are not seem to be trusted. But it still is, if you look across the range of issues, pretty much their biggest lead. Um, they've got a bigger lead on defence, but fundamentally, this is still the thing that the Tories have seen as most better than Labour on than anything else.
0: So that would, that would suggest that whether there was a campaign tomorrow or a campaign three years from now, four years from now, that... that- This is something that three and a half years from now, I suppose. This is something that you would want to. This is a card you would want to play if you're the Tories. But how do you do that with all the turmoil of Brexit? Is is can't really be about stability, can it? It has to, or or, or can it? I mean, can they try and play the stability card again, even though we're going through so much disruption?
1: Right. So this for me feels like. The maybe the biggest challenge for them, uh, bigger than Brexit, who knows? But a major challenge. Um, So at the moment, seventeen percent, uh, just 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 seventeen percent, one seven, pick the economy as the biggest issue facing the country. To put that in perspective, in twenty ten, which was obviously absolutely in action about the, the economy, it was seventy one. So this has just absolutely disappeared as a thing that, weirdly, even though people, as you said, are pessimistic about the future of the economy, it's not something that they see as the big political issue of the time. Another absolutely fascinating stat that just says so much about what's happened in the last few years, uh, only 4% put um, the deficit in their top three of, of um, political concerns at the moment, and uh, it's not often I get to say that climate change is something that people spontaneously are more worried about than uh, than the economy. But they go eleven percent pick climate change; only four percent are putting the um, the economy, uh, sorry, the deficit uh, up high. So this is the thing: P- people think the economy is going badly. The Tories are seen as leading on it, but people are not any more aware of the deficit or thinking about the deficit um and I suspect if we'd put the words the debt in it would have got the same I'd, even though clearly they're different things i'm not sure that the public are, are broadly distinguishing between the two um where do the Tories go with this how how do they address this if this if this has to be their trump card their way their way of hammering labor um, but they're seen as the economy is seen as going downhill then how do you turn that around uh clearly in the past they've they've used a, We're cleaning up Labour's mess. We're fixing the problem that Labour caused. I really don't think that's going to fly anymore. But somehow, even though they're also declaring the age of austerity to be over, it feels like they've got to um, get this back to being the issue that people are voting on.
0: I think the only way off the top of my head I can think you can do that from a strategic comms perspective is to make it about Labour's spending plans a bit like 1992, um, you know, tax bombshells and do you want Corbyn and McDonald running the economy, these sorts of questions. So make it about Labour rather than the long-term economic plan that we have. Um, it's a little bit of a race to the bottom as an election sort of strat- a campaign strategy, but you can sort of see the more attention that they try and put on Corbyn as Prime Minister and whether it's McDonald or Corbyn and McDonald as a pair in charge of the economy, you know how are you going to fund these spending plans etc 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 you know these are not new in many ways these are not new ideas from the conservative party in terms of how they attack labor but it probably has to be a bit about that um i don't know how different that is to what they've done before but i think that if you look at the if we if we, if we accept the idea that the polls are close because the opposition is just as unpopular as an unpopular government then i suppose you have to make it a, you know make it all about your opponent don't you well
1: right. And this really brings into stark relief um the, the question about the last election and the 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 arguments that that we didn't have. I think it was it was clear at the time, and we certainly talked about it, that there was the strangeness that we weren't really talking about the economy when that had been the Tories' battleground for uh, uh, elections election after election and the really interesting thing now is what's coming out from um, from the book by philip uh, professor philip cowley um who's dug up the uh these quotes and these stats that essentially labor were debating amongst themselves how big the tories could call their spending plans and how big a hole they had in their own costed plans and i think there are figures up to A spending plan of of a trillion pounds and the interesting thing is that Theresa may has now started talking about that Um, i think in fact it was mentioned in prime minister's questions this week um that this uh, she raised it as essentially the new campaign front Mm. so it does feel like it's something that the tories want to talk about i guess the the striking thing is they're talking about it now um a a year and a bit after the last election and a long time until the next election. So yeah, maybe that's, it is indeed exactly where they're going. I mean, I guess, you know, the fundamental question is will the Tory will will the public believe that the Tories are capable of running an economy carefully and well uh, at a time when they think the economy is going downhill and will they buy their attacks on Labour as, as worthwhile or, or fundamentally, are people at a point where they want more public spending. And I think that there's a good argument that attacking Labour is a party that's just going to spend and build stuff and give you stuff at a time when people don't think the government is running the economy in a particularly careful way. It might traditionally work well, but maybe we're not in a traditional time and actually the public are more prepared to say, well, you know what, I'm not happy with how public services, the public realm is is getting tatty Um I'm I I actually quite happy to have uh, a government that is going to spend a bit more and you know maybe won't be quite so boring and prudent with the finances.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is an argument that says the Tories have to unveil a budget plan for the the next five years whenever the election comes. That is, that that at least in their words does end austerity and increases public spending and so on if they want to do that. Um, And then they then they can say, well, our version of increasing public spending is better than Labour's because you can't trust Labour on the economy. They'll bankrupt us. So we've got it covered. But then the risk there, of course, and you think I think you've kind of outlined this here is that um, once you move, that's moving your tanks onto Labour's lawn. And why wouldn't you vote full fat? You know, let's let's uh, let's let's increase spending on the NHS and other things. Schools, hospitals, etc., because you can't trust uh, the Tories to do that. That'll be the Labour line. But I think what this then comes back to again is that the line the Tories are going to keep trying to push, which is about McDonnell and Corbyn and do you want them running the country? Um, now, whether the Tories' um, reputation for competence with government has been obliterated by then and they look like a really divided party because they've had a fracturous because they've had a fractious leadership contest. Who knows? This is all for the future. But it it, it is um, it is an interesting thing. I mean, what do we think about next week's budget then? I mean, what, presumably it's just going to be something for the government to get through, given everything else that they're doing um, with, with Brexit negotiations. But it comes with perils, doesn't it? I mean, we've seen in the past the old, the old Omni shambles budget with George Osborne, that get it wrong, it could, it could be the end of the government, couldn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, and I'm not sure that it actually is now something that they can just get through, um, and that's because they've set this this expectation of the end of austerity, and uh, they've got these problems with universal credit. So um, an end of austerity, I, I think it was the Institute of Fiscal Studies, apologies if I got that wrong, the calculation um, that essentially said there is a massive gap in public spending that would be needed to meet something that is plausibly an end of austerity. And that gap can only be met with either tax rises or uh, freezes in tax cuts that are really very substantial. And then the other problem that they've got is the same one that they had in um, 2015, um, the uh, um, essentially the, the squeeze on um, social security, uh, meaning that, um, the cuts were are going to start hitting working families who often vote Tory. And this is a problem with uh, uh, universal credit. And that is not really something that can just be fudged away and um, can just be sort of quietly dealt with in, in boring accountancy ways. These are very large amounts of money that affect very large numbers of people. Um, it's not clear to me that this can be a boring budget in a way that doesn't cause problems for the tories
0: and the longer the parliament goes on the parliamentary math isn't going to get any easier is it um we, you know there's been rumors of the dup threatening to vote down the budget believe believe that when we see it i think but even so it does reflect even the threats or the implicit threat that we were talking about the parliamentary math for the brexit deal weren't we last week um you know there isn't really much there is no margin of error pardon the pun once again uh, if the uh, if the prime minister does get a, um, significant rebellions over various bits that are in the budget that people their, her backbenchers don't like, right? So it's going to be it's fraught with um, not just this year, but every year. There's a budget between now and the next election. It's fraught with uh, potential pitfalls.
1: Well, well, right, it is, and I think you know putting together the the various things that we've just talked about. The point is, um, we're arguably a bit at a bit of an inflection point for the Tories that um, they've. I essentially had a decade or uh, yeah, pretty much a decade of of being the party of um, prudent finances, the party that's cleaning up Labour's mess. Um, it, this isn't the first time they've declared an end to austerity, but this is pretty much now the time where they know that they're going to be heading towards an election against a party that, that wants to pledge spending, uh, spending increases, um, that wants to hugely... Put more money into into schools and hospitals that very clearly are now struggling under under the costs uh, of cuts, along with the police, along with uh, lo- uh, other local services. Now, we took we talked quite easily just then of the Tories. Well, you know, maybe they can find some way of matching Labour spending, or if not matching spending, doing something that looks like public spending to try and spike Labour's guns. Well, that's easy to say, but this can't be done without tax rises. And there are going to be Tory MPs who feel that they are not in politics to increase taxes. And somehow the government is going to have to square that circle. Either it's going to be fighting an election as a party that continues to have tight public spending and is going to have to go up against a party that I think is quite clearly in tune with the public now. I think the, the long-term uh, data is fairly clear that the public are now more in favor of increased public spending than they've been for quite a long time. So the Tories will either have to fight against the public uh, mood on that, or they're going to have to overcome uh, some, of, some of their instinctive desires of, of some of their MPs with a very small parliamentary majority to increase taxes.
0: And of course, Theresa May will need all the friends that she can get, and on the backbenches, given that the Brexit negotiations are entering what feels like an interminable uh, sort of. uh, of, um final stage. Um, Leah. let's leave it there for this week's uh, podcast. Uh, Thanks very much for joining me. Um, That's all we've got time for for this week's Political Betting Polling Matters podcast. Do uh, let us know what you think. Uh, Do give us your comments. Um, If you can share us on social media and elsewhere or even tell a friend about us, that really helps us out. Um, Or give us a like on our Facebook page or a a, a positive rating on iTunes or other podcast apps. Anything you can do really helps the show and we very much appreciate that. Um, But for now, thanks for listening and have a great week.